but it's nice to be here. It's a blessing to be here. I do thank you for uh, reading and getting the Baptist bread, and I hope it stays uh, something to be good and a blessing in people's lives. I think churches need revival. I think all Christians need personal revival. We need a change in our lives. You know, I, uh, I read a lot of books. I'm an insatiable reader. I, of all places, I found a book uh, in Barnes & Noble by A.W. Tozer, and it was three of his books in one volume. I got it a little over a year ago. I have not finished it. It's so convicting to read a couple, three pages, and you've got to get down on your knees and get right with God. But he said this. He said, worship is no longer worship when it reflects the culture around us more than the Christ within us. And I think that's an indictment really against uh, a lot of church work and churches, uh, the way they function. Uh, It's not about us. It's about him and worshiping him and praising him. And I see in our churches, I'm just talking to you for a moment. I'm, you know, he said I could go till 12. I don't think I'll last that long. I'm 74 years old. I was hoping they'd ask who had a birthday last week if you were going to give a present, but I guess you didn't. <laughs> I turned 74 last week, but uh, I see a lot of apathy. I see a lot of the allurement of the world. I see arrogance. In many Christians' lives, you know, we're so wonderful and we're just great and everybody else is terrible. I see a great drift into worldliness, perhaps not in your life, maybe not in this church, but a lot of churches around uh, the country. There's division, uh, sometimes over uh, non-essentials or essentials, depending on how you look at it. So it's interesting to me that I I want to stay with the old paths. I want to stay with the old time religion. And we have a group of peoples and organizations that are going the other way. And they, uh, I'm not going to condemn them. They can do what they want to do. But just leave me alone and let me enjoy the things of God that I've known since the day I got born again, March the 15th, 1970. God completely changed my life. I was born again, genuinely born again. I grew up in a fine home. My dad was a preacher. He went to heaven last year, uh, 94 years of age. Uh, But you're not saved just because mom and dad are saved. Just because you live in a Christian home, that doesn't make you a Christian. It's a personal salvation. You must be born again. Well, that's my little warm-up. Let me look. Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalms 107. Psalms 107. It's an interesting thing to me when I notice this. Uh, there's four verses in this chapter that all read the same. Verse 8, verse 15, verse 21, and verse number 31. They all read exactly the same. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. 
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we didn't come to church today to be seen. We came to church today in hopes that you would show up and you would be seen. The wonderful works of God would be made manifest in our midst in this room this morning. May we see you work. May you have an open channel to change men's lives and make folk to be exactly what you would have them to be. I pray this, O oh God, in Jesus' name, and amen. There's another thing I'll get to in a moment. Really, this is two messages in one. There's four looks at a lost man here in this chapter. But we want to look at the Lord first. And if you're saved this morning, if you've genuinely been born again, I want you to take a trip down memory lane and praise God in your life, <coughs> excuse me, for his wonderful works that have been made manifest in your home, in your personal life, how you conduct the affairs of your life, how God has changed you with his wonderful works. I want you to think about initially how we ought to praise God for his wonderful works in creation. We live in a beautiful world. Uh, it, there's uh, wonderful things out there in nature. God created all of this in six days. How miraculous. Where I went to Bible school, I was a great preacher there. He attended Bob Jones University. Really, it was Bob Jones College when he went there and started in Cleveland, Tennessee is where he started and then eventually moved to Greenville, South Carolina. But he had Dr. Bob Jones Sr. as a professor. And one day, Dr. Jones got up and said, I want one of you students to read Charles Darwin's book, The Origin of the Species. Dr. Malone, who was the college president uh, where I went to school, he said, I began to sink down in my seat. He said, I had no desire whatsoever to read that book. And he said, I guess Dr. Jones saw me and he said, young man, back in the back, would you stand up? He said, I want you to read Charles Darwin's book, Origin of the Species, and give us a report in the next couple of weeks. Dr. Malone said, I was so glad that I read that book. For 800 times, over 800 times in that book, Darwin said, we suppose. I suppose. Hey, I am thankful this morning that I have a book that I don't have to suppose about anything. God created this whole world. He spoke it into existence, the voice of God. Uh, I'm thankful for the inspiration of the Bible, the wonderful works of God in giving us this great book, the Bible, a miracle book, a blood-soaked book 
with the precious blood of Jesus Christ on page after page after page in this book. This book breathes. It contains the breath of God, the heart of God, the plan of God, the work of God. We're to praise God for his wonderful works, the wonderful work of salvation. Oh, to be born again. How wonderful it is to be saved. I lived nearly 21 years as a lost preacher's kid. That's a long time. Oh, I made a profession of faith when I was a little boy. I uh, got in trouble when I was in college, secular college. And uh, my dad found out about it. And I, I went to church. I think it was a Wednesday night. I didn't normally go. Uh, except Sunday morning for a while as a wicked boy going to college. And uh, my dad found out about it, and I said, my goodness, I don't know what dad's going to do. I was about 18 years of age then. And I, no one ever, I never saw anybody do this at my dad's church before. I sat in the back row where I always sat. Me and the devil sat back there. And uh, I'm sitting there, and I know my dad's going to be pretty upset with me and I'm going to have to face the music. And now you weren't there, so you don't know. But it seemed like the devil sat down beside me and put his arm around me. And he said, Tim, would you like to get out of this mess? I said, I'm all ears. He said, why don't you, during your dad's message, no one's ever done a stunt like this before. Why don't you get up and go forward, stand there, and your dad will ask you, what'd you come for? And you tell him you want to get saved, just make, a, just make a prayer, get him off your back, get baptized, everything will be all right. I did it. But everything wasn't all right. I got out of trouble. My dad overlooked it, I guess. But I am so thankful. I praise God for the wonderful work of Holy Ghost conviction. And the Holy Ghost when I was, I, I think about six months before I got born again, I, you know, I was given a little Bible, not much bigger than that handkerchief, a little New Testament when I graduated from high school. And I got to reading that little book, reading that little book. I read about a page and I'd put it up and one night, it was the 14th day of March, 1970, I read a page, reached up to turn the light off, put my hand on that little knob, little black knob, and the Holy Ghost of God spoke to my heart and said, Tim, if you turn that light off, I'll never speak to you again. I pulled my hand down, read another page of that Bible, said, oh, fooey on it. I threw it down, put my hand on that little knob, and the Holy Ghost repeated himself and said, if you turn that light off, I'll never speak to you again. I got out of that bed, knocked on my father's door at 2.30 in the morning. He opened his door in his pajamas. And he said, this is, this is exactly what he said. He said, Tim, you came to get saved tonight, didn't you? I said, yes, sir, I did. And by 3 o'clock in the morning, I was a born again, headed for heaven child of God. God saved my, listen, we are so far 
from Holy Ghost conviction in the average service, it's palpable. God help us. Sinner, if you're here this morning and you're not saved, you are headed for a devil's hell. You need to be born again. You need that more than you need lunch this, eat this afternoon. You need that more than you need a good night's rest before you go to work tomorrow. You need to be born again. Salvation, the miracle of salvation. I've seen God work. I got saved there in March of 1970. I don't know, it might have been April, might have been May, but the individual that had the youth department, the, the teen, teen department, he said, Tim, I want you to come and give your testimony to the kids. There's about 30 kids, man, maybe 40 kids back then. I gave my testimony that day. Two young men came forward after that service. One of them just retired as a fireman in Lansing, Michigan, and still a faithful member of that church now for over 50 years. Another young man got saved. He married and moved off, still serving God, still living for the Lord. Listen, if you let God work in your life, he can do wonderful works in the lives of others. Amen. Oh, we ought to praise him for the fact that he preserves life. In the dark days of life, he give, he's there. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. We ought to praise him that he reclaims the backslider. You know, you might be a backslider here today. God will take you back. God will forgive you. God will bring you. I remember a service one time at my dad's church a long time ago. And I don't understand people like this, frankly. There was a couple in my dad's church, faithful, taught Sunday school, involved maybe a decade or more, maybe 15 years. I don't know what happened. Something happened in the family. They, the family all broke up. And they didn't, nobody, nobody came to church for about a decade from that family. Never saw, oh, maybe Easter, the husband would come. Maybe one of the boys, grown boys, that'd be it. Maybe a little daughter. One Sunday morning, place was packed. And that man came. We had a great evangelist come and preach that he had preached a revival meeting there, great man. And uh, I've heard this man give his testimony. He's in heaven now. But that man was there that Sunday morning. He was sitting on this side of the building. And so he was facing the front. The invitation time came. Everybody stood. He said, I stood. He said, I had to hold on to the, so under conviction. He said, I had to hold on to the back of the pew. My, my, my knees just gave out. And he said, the, the invitation started and he said, I'm standing like this facing the front, right on the aisle. He said, I stepped out into the aisle and I felt like turning left, but I turned right and went to the altar, got right with God and stayed faithful for the next 20 years of his life till God took him home. You can be reclaimed. The wonderful work of God still working in the lives of people. Souls are still being saved. Thank God. Thank God for the place where we're, we are going to go when we die as a Christian. 
It's called Emmanuel's house, the eternal home, the eternal haven of the redeemed. We sing about it. Oh, that will be glory for me. Heaven is a wonderful place, the home of the soul, the land beyond the river that is fairer than day, the place that outshines the sun where angels worship and so will we one day. Thank God. Thank God for heaven. We live in this life. Our Bible says very plainly that we've been, we've been raised up to sit together in heavenly places with him right now. We're already there. If you're saying part of you is already there, you say, do you understand all that? No, I don't understand all that, but I believe all that. Oh, we're to praise him for his wonderful works. Now, we've talked about him a moment. I'm going to talk about you for a little bit. There are four very graphic pictures of a sinner in this chapter, what a sinner is. I want you to look, first of all, at verse number four. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. A sinner is a wanderer. They wander far from God. There's an old song, invitation song, now I'm coming home. Wouldn't it be wonderful this morning if a sinner would find his way home today? The Bible said all we like sheep have gone astray. You're a wanderer. Maybe you're a visitor. Maybe you haven't been in church in a decade and for whatever reason you came back today. Or maybe you're the guy that came and he was sorry the preacher wasn't preaching and you got stuck with me. The wanderer, a sinner is a wanderer. Look at verse number 10. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death being bound in affliction and iron. A sinner is a captive. A sinner is bound by sin. The mire of sin down in the depths of your own designed iniquity and only Christ Jesus and the blood shed on Calvary can set the captive free. I am thankful this morning that the chains of sin can be broken by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son. There is nothing else that can handle it. There's no agent in all the world that can define deliverance but the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son. Then look at verse number 20. Another picture of a sinner. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Sinners are sick. They are sin sick. They are diseased with a horrible, seemingly incurable affliction. But again, only Jesus Christ, the great physician, who has the only proven remedy. Jesus Christ is a divine cure that delivers men from eternal damnation. You're a wanderer this morning? Come back, come home. If you're captive, 
the chains of sin can be broken by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're sick in sin, lay your body down on the operating table and let him give you a new heart through Jesus Christ. There's another and a final, and I'm not done, but it's close to the end. Look at verse 24. These see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind which lifteth up the, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven, they go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and they're at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. A sinner is like a sailor on a storm-tossed sea, about to drown in one's own debauchery. I, I, I used to sing. I don't sing anymore. Uh, well, I sing. I sang a little bit this morning during the congregational, but nobody heard me but the Lord. I don't sing very loud. I've kind of ruined my voice for singing. But I used to sing that wonderful old song, Ship Ahoy. I love that old song. I wish somebody would sing it this week. You know, sailing away on life's pitiless sea. Oh, you know, I like that old song, he lifted me from sinking sand. He lifted me with tender hand. He lifted me from strange, from strains of night to plains of light. Oh, praise his name. He lifted me. I am so thankful this morning for what God has done and what God can do and what God will do in the life of any sinner that would come to him. Back to that old song, Ship Ahoy. <laughs> that third verse always blessed me. The good captain commanded a boat to be lowered and with tender compassion, he took me on board and I'm happy today all my sins washed away in the blood of my Savior. And now I can sing, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. Oh, bless the Lord. Thank God. Thank God for what he can do in the life of any man, woman, boy, or girl that would come to him in faith believing. There's four simple questions I want to leave with you and I'll be done. We've talked about this great God that we serve Oh, that men would praise him. Oh, that men would worship him. I gave you four things that describe a sinner. Now let me ask you four questions and I'll close. Where did you come from? What are you here for? Where are you going when you die? And how to get to where you're going? Now if you're a sinner here this morning, you've got to come to this honest truth. You are at a crossroads. Between that broad way that leads to death, it's got bright lights and fun and all of that. You're standing at the corner of that broad way or that straight and narrow way that leads to life. And you have a choice to make. I'm 74 years old. Let's say this is zero and this is 100 in years. I'm about right here. 
I got that much of my life, three-fourths of my life, if I live to be 100. I have no aspirations for that. But if you, you know, zero to 100, I'm, I'm here. I may not live out the week. I don't know. You don't either. But somewhere between that first whimpering cry as a baby and that last gasp of your final breath, there must be somewhere along the line where you called on Jesus Christ and you asked him to save you. Or when you die, you'll go to hell. You're not going to hear any plainer than that. No preacher could ever put any plainer than that. If you die without Christ as your Savior, you'll go to hell. That ought to do two things this morning. One, in a sinner, it ought to cause you to think. And as a saved person, it ought to put a burden in your heart stronger perhaps than ever in regard to witnessing to lost people. How'd you get here? Where'd you come from? You know, a lot of people believe, I mean, they believe dogmatically that one day in the distant past, there was a little amoeba, just a one-celled creature that was floating around in a mud puddle. And the mud puddle dried up. And the poor little fella was on dry land. And as he moved around like he used to swim in the water, uh, appendages began to grow. He got on two arms and two legs and he even grew a tail. And he finally walked up on land and a little bit later, hair got all over his body and he began to climb up in trees and he was having a wonderful time. One day he was swinging by his tail. It broke off. As he was falling to the ground, all of his hair fell off and he started to walk like a man and he walked right into the University of Maryland and became a biology teacher. <laughs> That's what they believe. Where did you come from? We are fearfully and wonderfully made, the Bible says. In, you, you know what men can't get over? They can't get past the first five words in the Bible. In the beginning, God. What are you here for? Well, I'm here to have a good time, preacher. You know, just have fun, make some money, you know, have, you know do what I want to do with my buddies, hang around, party, you know. Uh, career, that's, that's what I'm here for. It's not why God put you here. You're an object of redemption. You know what God sees when he sees a sinner? Someone that his son died for, shed his blood for. You know, we see people out in the world, I mean, I was at the airport yesterday, goodness gracious, that would almost make you feel that might make you believe in evolution. I saw some unusual characters. <laughs> the girl that sat in front of me had pink hair and had a thing through her nose. They put earrings where they don't even have ears now. Unbelievable. We're here to bring honor and glory to God. And people like that, they need a savior. 
Philippians 2.13 says we're here for his pleasure. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go when you die? I've already said it. I repeat it. Heaven if you're saved and hell if you're lost. And it all matters on what you do with Jesus Christ. Whether you receive him, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Salvation, I appreciate the discipleship program you have. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like that, even got certificates. But we need that. So, you know, you get born again, that's not the end. That's the beginning of a life dedicated to Jesus Christ. Salvation is a life-changing experience with an eternity-altering destination. I don't know where you are standing somewhere on the bridge between two worlds, this and then all of us. I think I mentioned in Sunday school, preacher friend of mine's daughter yesterday, early yesterday morning, Shot and killed by her boyfriend. Young 20 plus year old girl, single girl. Killed her. What would it be if it happened to you? Will you be sheltered in the arms of God or shattered on the rocks of reality and ruin? Would it be a time of amazing grace or wallowing in the disgrace of an eternity in hell? Would it be the end of the story or as a child of God, it's the beginning of a symphony? Will it be celebration and praising or will it be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth? Will it be the halls of praise or the hounds of hell? Will it be coronation or condemnation? Will it be mansions of glory or dungeons of the damned for all eternity? Why do you think this church sits on this piece of property? It's not here so you have a nice place to go on Sunday. It's not here to provide all of your needs. It's not here so you can come and listen to good music. This piece of property, this building is here today to see that people stay out of hell. So vital. So vital. Will you hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant one day? Did you ever think about this, sinner? You go to hell. One day you're going to get out of hell and go stand before God. What a horrible day that'll be for a sinner. When you'll hear from the lips of the one who died for you. Depart from me, ye cursed. I never knew you. And stand there alone with a holy God. I don't know what they look like, but I, couldn't ima- I could imagine, I guess, in my mind's eye, what those demonic devils who inhabit hell They come and drag you off and cast you into the lake of fire. 
Eternity's not a picnic. It's a horrible place. If you're lost, you die without Christ. Choice demands a decision. And the Savior offers a solution. And the devil has nothing to offer but damnation. Where are you going to go after you die? I got that fixed up. The 15th day of March, 1970, as a 21-year-old boy. I'm glad I did. I know I'm saved. I have no doubt about it. I know the Holy Ghost lives inside of me just like he lives inside of you if you're saved. You say, can you explain that? Nope. But I know it. How many people in this room in closing would say, Brother Green, now I got saved at the house. I got saved at my dad's house. 2124 Lawana Drive, Lansing, Michigan. I could take you. I could take you within two feet of the place where I got saved. So I didn't get saved at church or in Sunday school. How many people in this room said, Brother Green, I came to church one day as a lost sinner. And I heard a message. They gave an invitation. And I responded. I went forward, knelt down at the altar, or maybe sat in the front row pew. But I came to church a lost sinner. And I went out of that building a saved, born-again child of God headed for heaven. Would you raise your hand high that can see it? More than... Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. If you're a sinner here today, you look around, you can see probably 75% of the people in this room got saved, came to church lost, got born again. There's more saved people here today. I got saved at home. Maybe, they got, maybe you got saved at work. Maybe you got saved uh, out on a highway somewhere. Maybe somebody came to your home and led you to Christ at the house. So if you're a lost person sitting here this morning, you ought to be consciously aware of this fact. A good place to get saved is in church. When they give the invitation, it's called. This lady's going to play something. Pastor's standing here. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. No one's looking around. Is there anybody in this room this morning say, Brother Green, I'm not saved. And I know I'm not saved. But I'd like to get it settled today. Would you raise your hand high that I could see it? 